Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980, 1300 AM, or anywhere on that Odyssey app. You can also get us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show, download it, listen when you want to listen to it. It's 5.09 here at the station, 73 degrees. It's saying cloudy now. It doesn't look like it's wet outside, but I'm sure there's some showers in our area. There might even be a couple rumble, rumbles of thunder tonight. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. So we talked a little bit about it in the, the top of the hour, this this Jacksonville senseless shooting by, by what all accounts is you know a 21-year-old individual with hate in his heart. Uh, he hated black people. 21-year-old, and they're saying it's being investigated on a hate, as a hate crime, as it should. Uh, he took his own life, so there's really not much they can do to the individual. But looking at what's going on, he was wearing a mask and firing a weapon emblazoned with a SWAT sticker on it. And he shot three black people on Saturday in a racist attack in Jacksonville, Florida. He had posted racist writings and then killed himself. He uh, called his father just before the shooting, asked him to break into his room and read his computer, and when they saw the messages, they contacted authorities, but the shooting had already started. Now, they're doing their best, and and I don't think it needs to be. I mean, this is obviously what it is. Here's a 21-year-old disturbed individual, criminal, evil person, who hated... Someone that was different, hated hated people that were different from him so much, he had to go out and do this. There, there Now, there's a history of mental issues with this individual back from 2016 and how he was legally able to purchase the two guns uh, might be something that we look into, should be something we look into. Now, they're, they're trying to tie this to this historically black college that's there Edwards Waters University it's a historical black school with about a thousand students now if you look at the details of the shooting though I'm not so sure now obviously this person wanted to go out and kill black people that's that's without a doubt based on his writings based on his actions he wanted to kill black people an evil person a monster who got a hold of firearms, and this was his plan. But as far as tying it to this historical black school, this Edward Waters University, he was on campus prior to the shooting, this this evil person, who I'm not even going to say his name. He was spotted on campus by a security guard shortly before the shooting and asked to leave when he refused to identify himself. He was seen putting on a bullet-resistant vest and mask before he drove away. Jacksonville Sheriff T.K. Waters said Sunday that it does not appear that he intended to attack the school. Now, if you follow the, the media reports and everything in there, everything's about the historic black university being involved here. This individual was on campus walking around, was challenged by a security guard because he didn't Looked like he belonged there. After he refused ID, they said, hey, you're trespassing on college campus. You have to leave. He got in his car. The security officer saw him putting on a vest and a mask and drove away. He could have easily 
did the same, got his weapon, and he was already on campus. Uh, he went blocks away from the campus and opened fire at this Dollar General store. Now, this individual who lived in Clay County with his parents had been involved in a 2016 domestic violence incident that did not lead to any arrest and was involuntarily committed for a 72-hour mental health examination the following year. He used two guns, a Glock handgun and an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. They were both purchases legal either earlier this year. Now, some of the victims, Angela Michelle Carr, 52, was shot in her car outside. Store employee, A.G. Langery, 19, who was shot as he tried to flee. And a customer, Gerald Gillian, 29, was shot as he entered the store. No one else was injured. And like I said, it's pretty clear. Racism was the motivation of this attack. This was an evil person who didn't like people different from him. And I said during the attack, the individual texted his father and told him to break into his room and check his computer there. The father found a suicide note, a will, and racist writings from his son. The family notified authorities, but by then the shooting had already begun. Officials say there were writings to his family, federal law enforcement, at least one media outlet. At least one of the guns had swastikas painted on it. The shooter made clear in his writings that he hated black people. After the shooting, the school was put on lockdown for several hours and the students were kept in their dorm rooms for their safety. The school says no students or staff were involved in the shooting. Now, the reaction is exactly what it should be. This is an evil person. We need to do our best to make sure people like this are identified before a tragedy like this happens. The sheriff said during, and I commend the sheriff during his press conference, he was very straightforward. Kind of scolded the media a couple times because they wanted to go down different roads than the fact that here's an evil criminal who wanted to do an evil thing. And a lot of times, regardless of the race, the demographics, who the person is or what their motive is, they're hard to detect and you cannot always stop them. I wish we could. I know I wish we could. I know you wish we could. But there's that balance there of what do we do? Now this person When he was 17, I guess, because 16, they were at a domestic. 17, he went in for a 72-hour mental evaluation. Still a juvenile. Records are probably sealed. Didn't get transferred further. I want to know more here. Knowing that he was had a mental issue when he was 17, were the parents aware that he bought firearms? If they were, maybe there's culpability there. You know, we have to also take responsibility within our families if we know someone is off if we know someone has had mental issues even if it was before they were 18 while they were children I don't care if it was when they were adolescents in elementary and middle school and then high school they kind of came around you know unless they're out on their own doing their own thing and not under your supervision not under your dollar then yes you have a say of what weapons they own in your house. Your house. It's very simple. So I'd like to follow this as the story moves forward. 
Were there any other signs? Did the family know of his racist behaviors, of his racist stamps? Is he getting it from his family? Not that the family committed a crime, but did they do everything that they could have done to prevent their son from doing this? These are the things we have to look at when something like this happens. But again, every media headline I've seen is about you know, Target's historical black university. It, he obviously targeted black people, but did he really target the university? He had the opportunity and was on the university and didn't. Drove blocks away after being challenged and did something there. So, you know, we'll, we'll need to see more of this so we can prevent more of this as we move forward. Let's go to the phones. We have uh, Frank from Hanover on the Shooter's Parents. Frank. Well, you kind of took the, uh, the, the smoke out of it because I always like to look at the parents. He's 21 years old. He has this hate coming out of him so, so much. Is he just a reflection of, of his parents? Uh, do they have the same type of ideology and, and, and hatred in, in their thing? But you, you already mentioned that. And as far as on the campus, even though he wasn't in the gear, the idea that he was on the campus would probably tell me that he was scoping out what would be his action. Go back to the car, check this out. A lot of people here go back to the car, get suited up. That's where I'm going. It, it could yeah. be. I mean, they, they just have where they where they found him, where he where he ended up committing his crime. But I mean, like the sheriff said, they also have to look at that he was on campus, had opportunity, and obvious his motive, as crazy it is, as it is, and didn't. So you know, the sheriff himself said that it doesn't believe that the church, that the the college was the target. Um, just people in general, and I guess when he went to this Dollar General, he had the 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 victims that he decided to to act on. How could you get so much hatred by the age of twenty one? It is it is uh it is crazy, and like I said, they were at a domestic at his house, which leads to me by reading the story. It doesn't say that there was obviously an issue with him and his parents. Uh, the child that's at sixteen and the parents that's would would be the domestic dispute. And then a year later was put in for a 72-hour hold for a mental evaluation, which I'm assuming the parents, you know, mandated that and a response as well. So I'd be, I'd be curious to know how many guns are in the parents' house that he was living at, besides him buying his own guns. No, well, yeah, I'm sure they know that at this point. And again, it, knowing the history that they've had with him, knowing that he at 17 had a 72-hour mental evaluation, were they aware that he purchased firearms legally? But were they aware? Could they have notified anybody and says, "Hey"? He legally bought these, but here's our concern with this. And as parents, it's your right and duty to do that, to protect your child. Because you know what? Regardless of the evil that this individual had, he's dead now. And they, they didn't, if, if they knew of this and could have prevented how many, it. How many parents are going to do, in essence, the right thing when it comes to their child? You'd, you know, you'd be I, surprised. I there's more times that they'll, they'll let it slide. Yeah, a lot do, but you'd be surprised at the ones that actually. I mean, look here. As soon as he called, the the parents didn't know what was going on. They they said to break into my room and look at my computer. They immediately contacted authorities, so they did do the right thing once they were made aware of it. Oh, absolutely. I, I think any parent would, no matter what. When they saw that, they'd probably absolutely call the police. But I got to run. I thank you. Thank you for the call, Frank. I appreciate it. It's uh, 521 here at WILK. It's time for traffic and weather. 
Just the usual heavy volume picking up throughout the area, especially near the Valley Cities, and watch out for the school buses, too. If you see a traffic problem, call the Jam Line, 570-883-7269. I'm Paula Dagnan in the WILK Traffic Center with this Pentella Data Traffic Update. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, cloudy with showers around low 62. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, rain developing later, high 78. Wednesday, a shower around in the morning, otherwise clearing and sunshine, breezy, high 76. Thursday, mostly sunny, high 73. It's currently 73 degrees and cloudy now at 522 at your official weather station, WILK. A long-forgotten time capsule at West Point recently discovered inside the base of a monument and believed to have been left by cadets in the late 1820s is expected to be opened Monday. The contents of the small box could possibly provide a window into the early, more Spartan days of the storied U.S. Military Academy. It's not certain exactly when the box was placed in the monument marble base, or who chose the items inside, though a committee of five cadets that may have been involved with the time capsule include 1829 graduate Robert E. Lee, the future Confederate general. The box will be opened during a live stream event. It's a mystery, a mystery of history, said Jennifer, uh, I'm not a votes child, the Academy's command historian. The container was discovered in May during the restoration of a monument honoring the Revolutionary War hero Thaddeus Kosciuszko. The construction manager made the surprise find and carefully pulled out the hefty box, which is about a cubic foot. After I uh, shut the job down and we roped off the area, then I realized, oh my gosh, uh, what did we find, said the construction manager. Cadets in the 1820s honored... Kosciuszko, a Polish military engineer, with a column near where current classes march and play soccer. As the officer of the Continental Army, he designed wartime fortifications at the location along the Hudson River before the military academy was established there in 1802. The plaque dedicated the monument was uh, erected by the Corps of Cadets in 1828. Other evidence suggests it wasn't completed until 1829, That includes a July 1828 letter from the Committee of Cadets involved in the dedication, including Lee seeking advice on lettering for the monument. There's pictures of this. Uh, It's it's truly interesting. I looked to see if there was anything uh, of the live live stream as of yet and uh, didn't have a chance to thoroughly search. But uh, x-rays indicate there is a box inside the container, but there are a few clues whether opening it will produce a historic bounty or a bust reminiscent of Geraldo's Rivera televised unsealing of Al Capone's vault in 1986. There could be monument blueprints, class lists, or a message from the cadet committee. There could be everyday military items like uniform buttons or musket balls. There could be papers, a medallion, or other items related to Kosciuszko. So lots of possibilities. It could be a revolutionary. It could be from cadets from the time period of the 1820s or both. Uh, Just think it's cool. You know, it's our competing service academy or my competing service academy. Go Navy. But uh, a historic find nonetheless. It'll be interesting to see what's actually in the time capsule.
and that it dates back to that much. And, and, you know, Robert E. Lee was a cadet there and one of the people who put this time capsule in the monument. So it's a interesting piece of history. I love when stuff like this comes out. So we'll, uh, we'll need to see what else is there. I'm looking to see what else they have. The, Yeah, the Academy said in December that it would comply with recommendations from a commission to remove honors to Lee and other Confederate officers. They're doing that at all the service academies, renaming a lot of thing, things there. The recommendations, which include renaming buildings and removing the portrait of Lee from the library, where parts of the military's broader effect, efforts confront racial injustice. Uh how is it, you know, they, they, they look to change the names of the monuments. They look to change the names, remove some of the monuments, remove some of the paintings of Robert E. Lee. And, and you could be on either side of that. I think, you know, once you forget about history, you end up at some point reliving it. Yes, maybe not in a, in a same prestigious event, but maybe near these monuments, near these paintings. Put a plaque that says you know, what was done in history, more recent history, to correct the wrongs that they went down. I think that would be a better piece of history to where you actually see the same monument that's been there for centuries or decades, in in West Point's case, it's centuries, and read a story on, well, this is what they went on to do, and this is how they were defeated, and this is how we became a better, more perfect union because of that, I think that adding context to history rather than just honoring the monument, honoring the name, honoring the portrait will bring more historic value to where we've come as a country because we have to know where we've come. We have to know what we've done, the great strides we've taken to make this a more perfect union. We were never promised to be a perfect union from the start. We're not going to be perfect. But we are, the promise in America is to be a more perfect union, to correct the mistakes we've made, not continually pay for them, learn from them. But there are a great portion of society that wants us to continue to pay for them. A lot of them we had nothing to do with. A lot of them lost thousands of lives to correct. Those are the things we should be honoring and uh And have our historic value in it, but not forgetting the road we've been to get here. And that's just uh, my two cents on this. But I'm going to be interested to see what comes out of this uh, time capsule at West Point. And if you have never been to West Point, I uh, I encourage you to go up there and take a walk around. It is truly one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. And it's right here, you know, not far from us. It's uh, 5.32 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michael. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 5.37, 74 degrees, cloudy outside right now. I just I just found the live stream from the West Point time capsule, and, and I built all that up for nothing. There was nothing in the box. <laughs> uh, they had a 48-minute live stream. And if you go to West Point's, I'm sure, Facebook page, if you go to their Twitter page, there's a link to it. You can watch it. I, I scrolled through it real quick. And I guess there was water impenetration and some silt in it. 
and they believe that there was some kind of organic material in there that decomposed over time. It could have been papers. It could have been, you know, back then they, they wrote on, um, I forget what the paper was called, but it was pretty much animal skin. Uh, it could have been that and decomposed. But when there were, there were layers of silt, they're going to put it through a fine mesh screen. But other than that, there was nothing tangible that came out of the box, um, you know, watching that that um, live stream that uh, happened down there. What temperature do uh, do you like to sleep? I, I like my rooms cold, but there's there's an ideal temperature that they're saying is the perfect temperature to increase sleep, decrease stroke risk, as per the experts. Uh, I like it cooler. I'm one of the people who will sleep with the window open in the wintertime. Uh, my wife is not. So we are the total opposites of the sleep spectrum where I'll sleep with just like a, a simple bed sheet and she'll have the full comforter on any time of day, any time of year. It doesn't matter for her. But the findings published in the Journal of Science of the Total Environment revealed that uh, sleep is most efficient and restful in older adults when nighttime ambient temperature ranges from 68 to 77. They say when it gets over 77 degree, degrees, but most people get restless. Um, there's an overall trend 5 to 10% drop in sleep, sleep efficiency as ambient temperature raise increases from 77 degrees. Well, it's pretty much common sense. I love the scientist type. Well, yeah, when it's hot and muggy, it's harder to sleep and you don't get as good sleep. It's not rocket science there, boys, girls. It's really not. I mean, I prefer cooler sleeping temperatures. I, I, I prefer this studio cooler. When I come in, I turn the temperature down in the studio because, um, you know, I'm like that type of person. Probably why I, fall is my favorite uh, season. I like summer, but I, I, I like the fall better. The summer kind of wears on me after a while. But, uh, yeah, a recent survey – I missed my play. Hold on. I'm trying to find my place here I was reading. Uh, it's one reason why many couples have uh, granted themselves a sleep divorce, they say, because of the different – like like my house, we haven't we haven't gotten a sleep divorce yet, but um, and sleeping in separate bed, but separate beds like the sitcom couples from the nineteen sixties or even separate rooms, there are benefits for some partners to sleep separately," said Doctor Aaron Flynn Evans, a consultant with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Studies demonstrate that when one bed partner has a sleep disorder, it can negatively affect the other sleeper. Again, this isn't rocket science. Obviously, when you're awake or you have trouble sleeping, it's going to disturb the other person. But they get a whole scientific... I bet you they got hundreds of thousands of dollars of our tax dollars to do these studies. To say, yeah, when your partner that you sleep next to every night has a sleep disorder, it's going to affect your sleep too. No kidding. I just saved you $100,000. Not rocket science. You sleep better when it's cooler. No kidding. Yes, when it's above 77 degrees, you get 10, 5 to 10% less sleep because of the heat. Okay, I get it. But just another useless uh, study I figured I'd bring to you guys. 
to see what you do. Do you are you looking for a sleep divorce, as they call it? I mean, when I can't sleep and I'm just gonna, you know, read or do something like that, I obviously go to another room and lay there. We have four of them now since all the kids are out. But other than that, you know, if if I know consciously that I'm gonna disturb my wife while I'm sleeping, or vice versa, she does the same thing. We listen to that, uh, what do they call it, white noise now, the the ambient. It's actually, we listen to a combination. We have an app to do it now, and it's actually a combination of a thunderstorm and a fire, like a campfire crackling. Or we do the waves, the ocean waves and the campfire crackling. Those are the two that we seem to like, that ambient noise at night that we both enjoy. I, I think we sleep better because of it, that white noise. I also suffer from tinnitus, so... My ear, one of my ears, my left more than my right, just rings all the time uh, from those faulty earplugs, I guess. And years of being a musician with too loud music. So either or, I take responsibility for it. I'm a big boy. But tonight's uh, stinks. I actually have an app for that that'll play the same sound. You can find the tone that your ear's doing. And when I play it, it kind of neutralizes it, but it only goes away for a couple seconds. And then it starts up again. But it's nothing I haven't learned to live with. And I don't think it's anything they can treat anyway. It's uh, 543 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Somebody said they sleep to the ambient noise of the Star Trek Enterprise bridge sounds. Do you really? Is, is that true or are you just messing with me? I don't know if I could sleep to that. Too many... Beeping, I don't know if that's true. You got to tell me if that's one hundred percent legit. Or you're just messing with me. Um, let's go to the phones. We have uh, Joe from Pittston on squandered money on studies. Joe, hey, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Yeah, I'm talking about the Water Street Bridge project. You know, they did that big study, got all this money from the state. Finally, they're going to rip it down. It's going to cost some money to rip it down. Um, well, they must think we're stupid. Well, they do. That's why they do the things they do. I mean, they wasted money on some study, some bogus study, and I'm sure money got handed off. But the state, I, I mean, I, I don't know where it's going. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, if you ever go through the list of some of the studies that govern, and not just locally, I'm talking about nationally, I mean, there's little, literally grasshoppers on treadmills studies and a shrimp. Remember the shrimp on a treadmill study that they were doing yeah. one time that got a big... I mean, millions upon millions of dollars of, of nonsense like that. Nonsense. Yeah, and people should... You know, I mean, the taxpayer, you know, I whether it's the elderly trying to pay their school taxes and property taxes, which they don't have, they raise those. I mean, it's just out of control. Yeah, and and with these increases in insurance premiums coming across the nation now, I mean, you could have paid your house off. You know, you're you're just getting by, if not barely getting by, or almost struggling to get by on Social right. Security. And now they're going right. to raise your insurance premiums up by twenty five to fifty percent. Yeah, it's just crazy stuff. I just wanted to make that comment to you. I appreciate the call, Joe. Thanks for checking in. Okay, pal. Bye. Thank you. 
Uh, Jake, you with me there? We had some uh, rough and tumble uh, races this weekend with NASCAR, huh? That's Daytona for you. Daytona. You were looking forward to this race for a while this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Daytona, it, it's obviously it's a special place, and it's obviously a place that you know whoever you pull for that they're obviously going to have a great, great chance to win. And it seems like for the past month or so, the theme for, for me as a Brad Keselowski fan is – He's winning, but he's winning as a car owner. It seems like he finished second to Chris Buescher on Saturday night at Daytona International Speedway. So a lot of good momentum for RFK going into the playoffs. But, yeah, definitely the biggest story. Well, a lot of big stories coming out of Daytona on Saturday night. When you look at Chase Elliott, the biggest name in the sport, missing the playoffs. Alex Bowman missing the playoffs. Bubba Wallace making it for the first time in his career and having Michael Jordan there to congratulate him on it. But definitely the biggest story was Ryan Priest's crash with just a few laps to go. I have never in my life seen a car like that flip so violently and flip about 10, 11, 12 times from from what I counted. So I think it's just a testament to how far we've come in safety, but how much we still need to work on it. I mean, you had the window net and the roof hatch. They basically were just torn right off of the car as he was flipping through the air. And the, the amazing thing is here he is tweeting an hour after that wreck happened while he's at Halifax Medical Center. You know, if you want to be a race car driver, you, you got to be tough. And the amazing thing is he was released yesterday, and he's now back in North Carolina. So, Yeah, those, those cars are d- designed, I mean, decades of safety features, at least the past two decades of safety features to keep those cars on the ground so they don't flip and roll like that. Uh, but that we did see on, on on the positive note is the inside Hans devices and everything that keeps his head stable and keeps him, you know, strapped in and protected uh, worked. And you talk about two decades, and we talk about Daytona, and when you talk about Daytona, you obviously can't help but think about Dale Earnhardt in two thousand and one. Yeah. And when I and not just Ryan Priest's wreck, but the other Ryan Ryan Blaney when he hit the wall at the angle that he did in turn four at the end of the second stage. It, it not only did it eerily look like Dale Earnhardt's wreck in 2001, it looked even worse. And here he was just a few seconds later being able to walk away from it. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's the thing. Like you look at, you look at those Hans devices, you look at the safer barriers, like when, when Ryan's car hit and you just saw how the wall just sort of gave and how it bended like that. And if we would have had those things around in 2001, I mean, who knows? Dale Earnhardt could probably still be here with us today because those safer barriers, they absorb absorb about, I'd say, they soften about 30% of the impact. And obviously with the Hans device, I mean, I, you know, that's the main goal is to not have your head go forward. And if we would have had those things in 2001, I think there would have been about it, from what I heard, about a 90% chance that Dale Earnhardt would still be here today. Yeah, a lot of people who have never seen the Hans device have been close up to close to it. Basically, it has these yeah. armrests on either side of your helmet that, that makes you so your can, head can't go from side to side. Yeah. Literally, you can't even turn your head. And then it's strapped. It's tethered from the back of your helmet to the heat itself, to the seat itself, so you can't come forward. It's like a giant upside-down U. And that's the thing. The, the purpose of it, obviously, is to make sure that your head is not going to lunge forward like, sadly, what happened to Dale in 2001. And... I mean, it's it, it really is remarkable when you, like I've talked about, just seeing how far we've come over these past 22 years, albeit losing the greatest driver there ever was. But 
yeah, Daytona was was quite spectacular in more ways than one. And we go from one iconic racetrack to another to kick off the playoffs Sunday night, Darlington Raceway down in South Carolina. You ask me, you ask my good friend Josh Manley, we'll say the toughest racetrack in all in NASCAR. And me personally, I know that Darlington is not a big city like a Phoenix or a Miami or an Atlanta, for instance. But to me, that would be the ultimate championship, would to be would have a championship race at Darlington, the toughest track both physically and mentally in more ways than one i would definitely love to see that one day but that's probably about a pipe dream but yeah <laughs> the southern 500 the southern 500 the granddaddy of them all it's been around since 1950 and i can't think of a better race to start the playoffs off with well i just want to get kudos here that uh you know i happened to interview the guy who won the championship for the first round here what is the first part of the martin championship truex jr martin truex jr yeah. I, I interviewed him at pocono i just want to say you know i pick him right <laughs> yeah and that's the amazing thing as we we move forward to the playoffs and you're going to have these next 10 races from darlington on sunday night to phoenix on november 5th and over the course of every three races we're going to have bristol charlotte and then martinsville the bottom four guys get eliminated, you know, 13th through 16th, 9th through 12th, 5th through 8th. But ever since we started the stage racing in 2017 and we've awarded a regular season championship, this is the second time Martin Trex Jr. has won it. And when he won the regular season championship in 2017, he won the championship as well. And it's, it's an odd statistic, but every even year, Martin in 2017, Kyle Busch in 2019, Kyle Larson in 2021 – all of them went on to win the championship. So Martin is definitely, I mean, he's definitely my pick for this championship. I mean, he, you could tell that he's revitalized and he's enjoying it again, and he's going to be back for 2024. So, yeah, I think that this is going to be an amazing year for Martin Trex Jr. after they just missed the playoffs last year. It's It's been awesome, and I think it's going to be great to see him and William Byron, you know, experience versus youth. I feel like that championship – there's going to be four of them, but those two are definitely going to be there in Phoenix. And real quick, something I read, I saw Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be racing at a dirt track here in Pennsylvania. Well, not. I, I don't think racing. I think just going to experience a sprint car race because I don't think Amy would be <laughs> letting him drive one of those sprint cars. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. Kyle Larson drove one of Dale Jr.'s late models at Caraway down in North Carolina last month or so. And he told Kyle, he said, man, I would love to come to a dirt race or a sprint car race and see what it's like. So, yeah. September 26th, Lernerville Speedway. That's out like the western part, like towards Pittsburgh, I would say. But yeah, uh, really, yeah, yeah. Really it cool. says he will be making an appearance at yeah. a Pennsylvania dirt track in I could, September. I could hear Amy car. right now. She'd be like, uh uh-uh, uh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I appreciate uh, your Thanks, take buddy. on the weekend's races. It is uh, 557 here, and we'll be back to close out the show in just a minute. 